So we haven't finished dressing the stage. There's some other things that are going in the next couple of weeks, so you'll see some other things as well. But we are getting there, which is great. Pastor Nick Reske, our senior pastor, sends his greetings to everybody. He is at our other campus in Bendigo, um, ministering there. Um, so that's why he can't be here. And his wife, Meredith, is also ministering at our other campus in Box Hill. So it's not they're having a week off. Um, they're actually doing uh, the Lord's work in, in our other campuses. We have a number of campuses around, uh, I was going to say Melbourne, but it's really Victoria. Um, and of course, Charles, you, you heard him before, he's our campus pastor. Um, and he, we're trying to give him a little break um, since you know I've been away for a few weeks. So just relax there, Charles. Take it easy. Um, let me go through a couple of things we've got in the life of the church. Of course, Emotionally Healthy Woman's been going really, really well. We also, last Tuesday started um, analyse and apply the Bible and uh, that's part of our internship but of course anyone can come along and sit in on that class and it's just look it's it's my favourite subject and I'm the teacher so if you come along you're going to have a lot of fun um, because it teaches about how to find the historical context of every passage that you read in scripture so for example who was Elijah um, or we heard about John before so who was John um, what language did he speak what culture did he live in we also talk about the literary context so is it narrative poetry apocalyptic writings how to identify and interpret based on some of those principles that theologians use this is not just something that we um, at this church teach but actually through the ages, theologians have come up with principles of interpretation so we don't misunderstand and misapply the scriptures to our lives. So you're still welcome to come along to that. It's not too late to join in. It happens at 6.30 till 9.30 on a Tuesday night and it's just upstairs in our office area. So you're most welcome to come along if you, if you missed out on the first week, that's fine. Awaken Youth is going to, they call it Noah's Ark Aid. I think that's a pun, which is intended. Noah's Arcade, um, that's 7 o'clock this Friday night. They're meeting at the church and also the older youth are having a, a place to relax and just chill out and connect. So both are meeting here at 7pm, parents, 7pm at the church here for um, our youth. There's a ladies' um, conference for our denomination. It's called Passion. That's happening on this, uh, the... I haven't got my glasses here. So it's the 16th of June. Um, and, of course, we have guest speaker Esther Greenwood, who's from New Zealand, and Ruth Swift, who's the wife of the national leader uh, for our movement and also sits on the national leadership team. They'll be speaking there. So um, there's brochures in the foyer for that. And also let Clar Clarissa know if you want a carpool to get there. After the service today at 12.30, there's a cook-up. And that's because we supply food and meals to people in need. And so occasionally we, of course, um, have a cook-up and make sure we have enough stocks and supplies to do that. So even if you haven't anticipated that but would like to be involved in that, that's happening in our kitchen straight. Um, we'll give you enough time to get some lunch, so 12.30 um, in our kitchen, just um, in our building here. So you're most welcome to join in on that as well. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings. So if you give by credit card, there's a slip on the seat in front of you. And we'd like everybody to contribute to tithes and offerings. And here's the reason why. Because God expects us to give to him. This is not something that um, denominations just teach. This is a scriptural principle of giving God what he's already given to us. And one of the things that we have going on um, in the next, uh, it's about a month away or so, is Hope Tour. So I know you would have, uh, for those who were here last week, we did an offering specifically for Hope Tour. You know, Hope Tour is one of those things that came out of our church when Charles really was convicted by God to go into the local high schools and to bring 
God's love and hope into their lives. And uh, they focus on an anti-bullying theme. They have rallies in the evening. They're going to have a big event at the end of the week, I know, in here in this auditorium. So if you, if you weren't here last week and you want to contribute specifically to that, you can just write hope to her on the amount that you want to give. Um, and you can either do that this morning on that giving slip or you can also do it um, online at any time. Why don't we pray, shall we, as we give to the Lord? Father, we thank you because we recognise and acknowledge you as the sustainer and giver of all things. And as Westerners, sometimes it's hard to get our thinking around the fact that you actually give us every good gift. That includes our income, our wealth, our homes, our jobs, our finances, our health. Everything comes from you. And so, Father, this giving now is an act of worship, acknowledging you as the primary source of all things. And so, Father, we do it from our hearts. We do it willingly and with gratitude, saying thank you for all that you've done for us. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. There's containers at the... If you're sitting on the left-hand side of the road, there's a container under your chair. And um, if you need a pen, by the way, um, I forgot to say that, but I'm getting the signal. So if you need a pen to write on that slip, just put your hand up and they'll get you on the host. But pass those containers along the other side of the row and they will be collected. Well, as I said, next week I'll tell you a little bit about our trip and um, it really was... Actually, by the way, don't come up to, to Surai and say, how was your holiday? Because we're walking in the desert from 7am till 7pm in 41 degree heat. Um, so there, it really was not a holiday and we packed so much in, but it was an amazing time. Now, I'm speaking next week, but let me give you the heads up. It's not going to be a boring slideshow. I am actually going to teach you something from the Word of God, but I'll highlight a couple of little things along the way. Well, this morning we are really honoured to have Scott and Rachel Wellard here with their son Elijah as well. Now, most of you have never met Scott, and let me tell you a little bit of the backstory as he, as he prepares to come and share, and, and Rachel's also going to share as well. You know, we've been on a journey with our missions strategy. Our focus has, um, really the last few years, it's just really been supporting the current things that we had going, particularly when we were a smaller congregation. So we were really focusing on a couple of things, um, probably the last couple of years specifically, um, and that was doing some work through um, Matt and Kimbra Smith in Cambodia, who are working at rescuing people from slavery in different forms and now ministering to children as well, and also supporting Vincent, who planted Youth Alive Italy, um, and he's based in Milan, but he's also planted a church in Como in Italy and working on another church plant. So that's what we've been, do pardon me, what we've been doing. But as a leadership, we really felt that it was time, we're sort of in a season where we could revisit our mission and actually create a strategy and a vision for us to have. And part of that journey has been really looking at our strengths as a local church. So one of the things in terms of what you do internationally as a congregation is you should replicate what you do well locally. So some, some places they'll try and do things that they don't do at home and they try and do it internationally and it's very difficult to replicate something that's not your gift. And so we've been primarily focusing and praying and talking as a leadership team about well, what is it that God has gifted us to do right here. Now in one sense it's pretty obvious because you know from four years where we were just one campus we've now gone to four campuses and so we sort of felt well really one of the strengths that God's given us is to either plant churches or revive churches 
And so that's really going to be one of the things that we develop even further. So we're still in the process of clarifying that in some detail. And we mentioned this about four weeks ago with our vision update. And in the future, when it's really a strategy, we'll come back and share that with you as well. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is Scott and Rachel are about to plant a church in Liverpool in the UK. Now, they're from Melbourne. And uh, in fact, we've, I first met Scott through setting up the internship because he was working at Harvest Bible College. And one of the roles he had was dealing with churches like ours and helping to set that up. But through a couple of connections, he might tell some of the story in detail, but through a couple of connections um, with our senior pastor, Nick, so with John Partington, who, of course, some of you know who come and preaches here from the UK, used to be the national AOG leader of the UK. And then his son, Aaron Partington, who's also preached in our church, um, Scott met with them. Then he met with Timothy Jack, who was the apostolic national leader in Australia, but is now the national apostolic leader in the UK. So through those meetings, Scott had already had a bit of a passion and a vision to plant a church in the UK. And really, that's, those discussions and meetings that took place led to that, actually, that door opening up. And so this is really what you're about to see in here is going to be a little bit more than just a church planning project. But as a church, we're going to support Scott and Rachel. That'll begin in September this year for at least two years. So financially support them. Um, when um, sometimes Nick and some other the leaders go to the UK to do ministry, they'll be visiting them on field and all that sort of stuff. So it's not just financial support, prayer support, but we want to visit them and help strengthen them. So you're going to hear from them in a few moments, but just to help introduce them, I'm going to show you a short clip um, that just tells you a little bit about their story. So thanks, Anne. Can you run that? It's like waiting a movie. just a year ago since Alita and I left and we've been in the United Kingdom uh, for the last year. One of the significant connections we've made in recent times is with Scott and Rachel Willard who are moving from Melbourne to plant an apostolic church in Liverpool. They're going to be talking to you about that now over these next few moments. Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Rachel and this is our gorgeous but energetic son Elijah. For the last 11 years, we've been associate pastors of a church plant in Cranbourne. I've also been working for Harvest Bible College as one of their lecturers training young pastors. I'm studying my Bachelor of Education in early childhood, and now we feel God is calling us to Liverpool to plant a church. We just want to tell you a little bit about it. When we were sitting in cafes and we were just talking to people from Liverpool, they'd say, what are you doing here? And we'd say, we're planning to relocate. The first thing they'd do is look at us in disbelief and say, why? We want to be where you are, as in every pom wants to relocate to Australia. But once we got past that initial comment, a lot of people said this same sentence, which hit me. They'd look at us and say, but why? We're trapped here. That sentence broke me. That sentence spoke to me about the need. That people believe that they're trapped there. Not that they live in Liverpool, not that they love Liverpool, but they're trapped there. So that was the need that I connected with, a need that I thought our church could address. I've always felt that life is a bit like a puzzle and God orchestrates all of these pieces uh, to create something unique for each of us and uh, I guess w one of the pieces uh, to our puzzle that uh, is taking us to Liverpool uh, is our journey to become parents. Um, it was probably the most difficult thing that we have ever faced. It took many, many years. 
uh, and at my my very lowest. I couldn't even be in a church service without crying. Anyway, we were um, in a church service at one stage and I was uh, crying and somebody came over and, and spoke a word over me and, and they were praying for me and they said that uh, that aching and that, uh, that pain that I felt towards that little person that I hadn't met yet, um, that is the same way that God feels about the lost. That is the same way that God feels about wanting to be in relationship with each and every one of us. Um, and that is something that I need to take with me wherever God is calling us to next. Um, and that is something that I'm going to bring to Liverpool. That is something that I'm going to take with me, uh, I guess, for the rest of my life. It was on a trip to London on that, on that trip that I met with a man named Tim Jack. Now, I was meeting with Tim Jack for harvest reasons. I honestly didn't put the two and two together that I was meeting with a national leader. But Tim and I got talking, and he asked me what I do when I'm not at harvest. And I said, well, uh, my wife and I are associate pastors of a church, but we've just resigned. He inquired about why we resigned. I said, well, we believe that we're about to plant a church. God's put a church on our heart, and we need to get it out. He looked at me, and he said, could I convince you to plant in Liverpool? Tim and I spent the day in London just walking around, sharing our hearts for church planning, sharing our hearts for Liverpool, sharing our hearts for the UK, and I just felt an instant heart connection. And I felt that day in Tim, I had found a father in the faith. Fantastic. So you're not just going to hear about a vision to plant a church, but you're going to hear their personal journey. Because, you know, everything that happens in life, it, for you, for me, it doesn't matter who you are, you don't have to have a ministry title. But every walk with God has a journey attached to it where you learn something and there's struggle, isn't there, that you have to put your faith into practice. You've got to trust God. And they've had a real answer to prayer. And you're going to hear some personal stuff today. So why don't you put your hands together as I welcome Scott as he comes and shares with us this morning. It's great to have you here, Scott, finally. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Rach, when we get home, we've got to clean the air filter. Just remember that. It's good advice. It's that time of year, right? I really don't enjoy watching myself on screen, so I'm sitting there going, I should have said this, I should have done that. That was the worst way for me to come up on stage. Like, you know, I tell you what, look, preaching is a team effort, okay? Like, so we're going to all get involved today. Uh, when I come to churches I don't know, and I, and I don't know a lot of people here, I usually have a friend in the audience who is on cue to smile and encourage me when I'm feeling uncomfortable. And that's Sammy Grimshaw, and he's not here today. He's in another country. So all I could think of in a worship is I've never seen a drummer just so passionate about what he's doing. I had total envy. You've got to understand... I want to be that passionate and talented of what you're doing. There was moments where you did these things and, and you, I could see your face like, yes, nailed it. And you know, and you were worshiping through the instruments and I can't sing and clap in tune. <laughs> I'm either singing or clapping. There's no both. So I had total envy. So you are now on Team Wellard. Okay, so when I'm uncomfortable, I need that passion, that encouragement, all right? Now, I wanted to pick you. I had my doubts, though, because then you sat in front of a Manchester United fan. And I'm a Liverpool fan here to talk about Liverpool. So, but I still think you're the man. I'll just, I'll, I'll focus right in on you, okay? All right, so team effort, team well, let's, let's see some encouragement. Oh, yeah, this is going to work out well. This is going to be good. Oh, now I'm excited. All right, we got that in place. I can move on. That's all right. So if I look that way. There we go, that's good. He's got a real affirming face. So good. All right, so 
I'm really excited to talk with you guys this morning. I've been meeting with Pastor Nick for, for over 12 months as he started to help my wife and I, uh, you know, through the journey of relocating to the other side of the world to, to plant a church. So I want to talk about Liverpool. I want to talk about where we're at so far. I was over there a month ago. But I, I got this problem when people ask us about how we got to plant a church in Liverpool, is we can't talk about Liverpool without talking about our journey to become parents. Because without that journey, I don't think it's possible at all for us to actually take on something like relocating to the other side of the earth and planning a church. So I want to share that, but I also felt that I needed to just touch on a passage in the Bible, a story in the Gospels where Jesus walks on water and then Peter walks on water and there's a whole lot of guys in a boat. It's a really popular one and we all know it. It's one of my favorites. And I wish I could just like spend the morning telling you all the awesome things I love about that passage. But I'm just going to try to, sm- the f- to focus on a small part of it. And it was really gutting because this morning when I got up, I was like, I've got to mention the feeding of the 5,000 because that's what they're doing before they get on the boat. But I'm like, I'm going to run out of time. But then this awesome worship lady mentioned the feeding of the 5,000. So it's like you took care of that for me. It was great. See, it's a team effort, isn't it? I told you. It's working out. All right, so I want to I look at the, the disciples on the boat before I start with anything else. So what, where we're at is we've already fed the 5,000. Jesus has ushered them onto the boat. And I want to pick, pick up a little later on in the passage. So we're looking at Matthew 14, and we're starting with verse 23. And it says, Later that night, Jesus was alone praying, and the boat with the disciples on was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And as I was praying about coming and visiting you this morning, and you got to understand, this was a really rough week. I've had like five migraines in my total life. Not that it's a big life. I'm mid-30s. It's not a huge life. But I've had five total migraines. I remember them because they're the worst. And I had two in the last four days. And we were away in Geelong as well. It was, it was horrendous. My, we're all Geelong Cats fans, so that might change the way everyone feels about us right now. But uh, my wife's siblings are all from Port Adelaide, so they're diehard Port Adelaide fans. So we went down to Geelong, and my wife went off to see... See, I mentioned Geelong, and someone's left the room. <laughs> you know, people can't handle success. That's all it is. <laughs> if I said Hawthorne, half the room would go. But... Um, we went down to Geelong, my wife went to the game with her siblings, and they're all Port Adelaide fans, and I thought, you know what, I'll get the little one down, I'll have a pizza, I'll have a Scott night in front of the game, I need a night off at the moment, we leave the country in two weeks, it's, it's tiring, and, and uh, I put the little one down, and at that point I was seeing blurred vision, but I'm like, nah, it's alright, I ordered pizza still, and, and by the time the first quarter was over and the pizza arrived, I had that full-blown migraine. I still persevered and tried to eat some mozzarella sticks, Probably not the best life choice. But what happened was, I, all I could think of is I need to go to sleep. That's the only solution. But, you know, looking at phones is not a good idea when you have a migraine. But if I don't let the siblings know I'm seriously ill at this point of the game, if Port win and they come home and I'm in bed, they're going to think I'm sulking. So I'm powering through a migraine just to convince them I'm seriously ill in case Geelong lose. Anyway, so it's been a, it's been a horrendous couple of days, so... I'm starting to, 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 to find my head, but as I was praying through those days and thinking about you guys, that's where I was before that tangent, 
I was starting to think about the journey between fear and faith. And when you look at this passage and you look at the the different movements through this passage, being on a boat, walking on water, you start to see moments of fear and you start to see moments of faith. And that's that's the best way to explain our journey going to Liverpool. There's moments of fear and there's moments of faith. And right now you've got the disciples on a boat in a storm. These guys are fishermen. They've been on boats. They know how serious a storm can be. So they're afraid. And in that moment, Jesus comes towards them walking on water, but they don't see Jesus, they see a ghost. So what we have to begin this story is not a moment of faith, we have a moment of fear. What you need to understand is the Jewish people love their superstitions, and one of the superstitions they had was the appearance of a spirit at night meant impending doom. So that's why I know they weren't looking in faith. If they were looking in faith, they would have seen Jesus. But because they were looking in fear, they saw the worst possible outcome, which was a sea spirit that meant we're all going to die. What you need to understand is fear and faith don't often exist in the heart at the same time. And what we usually see is what's usually on our heart. So in that moment, in that movement, it's fear that's on their heart. Faith sees Jesus, fear sees the worst. And that's where we start in this moment. And this, this passage, as you go through it to the different movements, the boat, the walking on water, it's a constant wrestle between fear and faith. So as I'm up here sharing our journey, I don't want to stand up here and say, Rach and I are these amazing people that have this big faith to relocate to the other side of the world, because it's simply not true. We're just a couple of people who have gone through a few storms with Jesus already, so that relocating to the other side of the world doesn't seem like a very big issue to us. But what I want to share with you is that wrestle between fear and faith, because I believe everyone in this room has the capacity for great faith. It's just about learning that wrestle between fear and faith, and it's about learning the reality, the more we persevere through the storms with Jesus, the easier it is to look in faith as opposed to fear. So I want to share a bit more. So you see the next part, Jesus immediately says to them, take courage, It is I, don't be afraid. That's where I wouldn't make a very good Jesus. Because, you know, he's just so compassionate. He sees that he thinks he sees that they think he's a ghost and he he calms them. I would go (laughs) wouldn't work. (laughs) Just like that joke. But we see Jesus immediately, it says, It is I, take courage, do not be afraid. And the, the disciples must immediately go, All right, we're good. Jesus is here. We can relax for a minute. They're actually learning something valuable because they're used to Jesus being there and they're used to things being okay. But this time Jesus turns up. What they needed to to learn because Jesus is going off to heaven soon is Jesus isn't always going to be physically there, but he's always going to be aware. When he was praying, he knew where they were. He was aware. The disciples in this storm needed to learn that he's not always going to be there, but he's always going to be aware. And they needed to learn to take confidence in that, not his physical being there. That almost was explained. So, they're, t- they're going few, but Peter, Peter always takes it one step beyond. Where the rest of the disciples are just happy now to be safe in a boat, Peter's like, I can walk on water. This will be cool. This is a crazy idea. And Peter, like many times in the Gospels, good encouragement, you're nailing it, he has this glimmer in his eyes like, I could do something crazy. And so he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, come. What I love about Peter is he gets a crazy idea, but he, lo- he asks, Lord, 
if it's you. I love crazy ideas. I think crazy, bold ideas are awesome. But I think this is good advice. Just take that moment to go, Lord, if it's you. Because I want to make sure it's the Lord and not the coffee I've had that morning. So, Peter asks Jesus, he says, come. And Peter, in this moment, in this passage, shows us this amazing example of faith where he takes Jesus at his word, steps out of the boat, and starts walking on water towards Jesus. But in that same instant that he shows us this amazing example of faith, he also shows us a very livable example because he goes from super faithful to superhuman in just a few moments. He goes from walking on water with his eyes focused on Jesus to suddenly noticing the circumstances around him, the winds, the waves, and the minute he takes his eyes off Jesus and places them on the circumstances of the storm, he begins to sink. And that's what I want to share with you. I reckon there's a few times in recent years where I felt like I'm stepping out of a boat. And I reckon we can all relate to times where we step out and we kind of, like, it's almost like we're walking on water. We've stepped out into a new opportunity, a ministry moment. Maybe it's just as simple as we're stepping out and telling a friend about Jesus. And it starts out really well. And we're focused on Jesus in that moment, but things get a little unsettled and suddenly we notice the winds, the waves, and our circumstances and the eyes drop from Jesus, and we begin to sink in that situation. I want to tell you about Liverpool, but I want to tell you something personal about Rachel and I. If you guys are going to support us over in Liverpool, you need to know who we are. And the best way for you to know who we are is to tell you about the time where we were at our most broken. So Rachel and I have been married 10 years. I know it's 10 years because we got married on grand final day. I know. It's a cardinal sin, but the wedding venue, venue was half price. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an okay sin. Um, you know, sin, half price, half price. And so that year, my family is Geelong, her family is Port Adelaide. We didn't think either of them would make the grand final. We were so blessed that both made the grand final. I tell you what, though, guys who aren't married, do grand final day. You'll never forget your anniversary. They talk about it for two months beforehand. You've got leeway to plan a date and, and presents. It's great. So I know it's 10 years because they celebrated the 10th anniversary of Geelong beating Port Adelaide by, you know, 100 points. It was amazing um, on Thursday. And thankfully, we are all Geelong members in my household because of that grand final. I feel like if, they beat, if your wife's team beats, it gets beaten by 100 points on a wedding day, we're all converted. House United. So Elijah was a Geelong member three hours after he was born. Took a month to sign him up to births, deaths, and marriages. <laughs> so yeah, we've been married 10 years, and when we first got married, Rachel wanted to start a family, but I was finishing my studies, and we were in ministry, and you know, my parents waited five years and figured out what it meant to be married. Her parents waited two minutes. So it was just a collision of, of ideas, but we said, we'll wait at least two years. We'll try to get sorted in life, and... And then we, we got to two years and we got excited. We're like, it's right, we'll start a family. And so we did what like a lot of couples do is we started already buying baby clothes. We started uh, naming our children. We started looking at schools we lived near and said, do we really, should we really live here? But we didn't have a kid yet. We were just trying and we had a year of this and excitement and possibility and any month now and, and couldn't wait to get home from work. She was going to surprise me one day and then a year passed and nothing happened. And so we went, we went and just chatted with the doctor, and he's like, look, at your age, you're young, you're healthy, it can take up to two years naturally, so come back six months from now. 
So we tried another six months, but there was a little less excitement. It was starting to, to wear on us a little bit, and, and um, we were boxing away some clothes that we had brought and, and stuff like that, and we, we went to the doctors, and they said, all right, we're, we're going to test you guys. And the way it works is they test the female first. So that, you know, Rachel went away, had some tests, and they got back to us, and it was awesome news. Rachel is overly fertile. There is no reason whatsoever why she shouldn't be pregnant yet. I'm just like, well, there's two people in this equation. She's overly fertile. I'm the other. So they're like, we're going to test you. I'm like, do you really think that's necessary? (laughs) Really? (laughs) We know what's going on. So I felt like dead man walking into the test, and we did the test before Christmas, which was a mistake, because then they shut down over Christmas. So it got till February before we heard anything, and I just happened to get the results phone call when I was out to dinner with my family one night in the middle of a restaurant, which is not the phone call you want to receive, where they go through all sorts of different levels of results to explain exactly why you're 98.5% infertile at the dinner table in an RSL which just seems a little weirder than a dinner venue. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, the, 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 we found out I was 98.5% infertile, which they said they've only ever seen with people who have worked in high-level chemical factories. They said, what did you do with yourself? I said, well, I was a high-risk youth worker. I'm sure some of them were on high-level chemicals. <laughs> Does that work? But basically, they said it would be pretty miraculous for you to achieve naturally. And even assisted methods, IVF and stuff, would be a stretch. So we then had a three-month window of trying to figure out what that meant. The direction we thought we were heading as a family felt like it suddenly sunk. You know, we went through wrestling with IVF. We went through figuring out whether we were going to adopt. We went through a lot of emotions in three months. But the reality was we were just trying to figure out how to function now as a couple when our life for two and a bit years had been working towards one thing we were narrow-minded on. And in 2012, in the middle of the year, I had a dream one night. I dreamt that I was holding a little blonde boy, and I was calling him Elijah. And I felt like God was making a promise that that's going to be your son. And I didn't tell anything. I didn't say anything. My wife was fairly broken at the time. I wasn't completely together myself, so I kept it to myself. And then a month later, my wife woke me up in the middle of the night and said, I just had a dream. And I was like, great, tell me in the morning. But... I didn't wake her in the middle of the night. Notice that part of the story? Come on. We're guys. Things can wait. (laughs) She said, I had a dream. I was holding a little blonde boy, and I was calling him Elijah. I think God's telling us that's going to be our son. I said, well, if it's God, we need this confirmed. My mum's the vicar of a very large Anglican church in the southeast of Melbourne, so she had like an army of, of people praying for us, and she calls me like a week after that, And she said, I've been dreaming of a little blonde grandson. And our prayer warriors keep telling me to tell you to name Elijah, which means God will increase. Rachel and I, in September 2012, decided to get out of the boat and believe without a doubt that God had just made us a promise that we would have a son and we would call him Elijah. Now, I'm brown, she's brown, we have a blonde. Don't know what that's all about, but we'll keep going. Now, you guys know the end of the story. But do the maths, that's 2012, he's a year old now. See, it's one thing choosing to get out of a boat and believe that God's going to do something that I've just been told would have to be miraculous, that he's actually going to bring us the miracle we wait for. So in that situation, you're like, sweet, we're going to be parents by Christmas, this is awesome, get the baby clothes back out, let's choose paint for the nursery. 
a year passed, another year passed. And we were still holding on to that promise, but there was a lot of space between the promise and where we were now. And so you start to notice the circumstances of the situation you're in. You start to try to figure out God. Don't ever try to figure out God's plan and timing. It'll never make sense to you. We don't exist in that plane. But we were trying to figure it out. And what was really happening is we weren't growing closer to God. We were growing closer to broken. We never quit on God. We never stopped doing ministry. But we were becoming less of who we were and more of broken. Less of faith and more of fear. Because the further we got from that promise, the louder the fear of you'll never have a son started to get. We gripped tight to that promise like we had nothing else to hold on to. And I learned a lot about conviction in that journey. And I said to Rach, if I'm ever going to be a senior pastor and plant a church, I want to understand that same conviction for that because I want to know that I can hold on to something with dear life when everyone else is falling, everything else is falling out around me. So we held on. But it was close at times. Then God started to hint that he might be suggesting IVF. I had a bit of a nana, like, had a bit of a tanty. I'm like, that's not fair, God. You can do it without that. You don't need that. But I really felt like God was saying, IVF, IVF, IVF. I was like, how are we supposed to confirm this? And then all these people kept coming to us and saying, God said it's time to focus on family. And the only thing we hadn't tried to focus on family any more than what we were was the only thing we thought about for like all those years was to go for IVF. So after that tantrum, which wasn't, wasn't really great of me, I decided I was going to live under a new philosophy. God makes more sense in retrospect, which means five years from now, I'm going to look back and have a, aha, that's what you were doing. Now, when I look back and have that aha about IVF, it's immediate a ha ha, oh, I'm so embarrassed about that hissy fit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to live my life in a way that I'm not going to have a hissy fit now so I don't ruin the future aha moment because I know that God makes more sense sometimes looking back. So we decided to go for IVF. We didn't know why. It didn't make sense. I was still a little ticked about it, but we went through it. God blessed me with this awesome job at Harvest Bible College, which meant for the first time in ministry, we had two full-time wages. We didn't know what to do, so we just kept living off one and put the other one towards family. So you get a promise. You expect it any time. You wait all those years, and now he says IVF. You expect first go, right? Come on, easy, first go after all this. The first time failed worse than most can actually fail. No baby and no options moving forward. We had to start from scratch the second time and the second time failed that badly as well. At this point, we're now in the middle of 2015. I'm sorry if the story's getting a bit long, but I just, I need, I need to let you know this story. Is that all right? We, I still got you? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> middle of 2015, been a few years now. I'd done my back, so I felt broken, broken. My wife came out of paradise. She was Pentecostal from birth. She got skinny jeans at birth. She's from the mothership. I'm Anglican, so it means she's got faith, I have resilience. <laughs> she was always the one with the faith. She came to me in the lounge room in the middle of 2015, and she said, I'm done with God never thought I'd hear that from my wife. I want to tell you, 
I'd like to tell you how perfect I am. And in that moment of time, I, I thought about how much I love God and we can never be done with God and how amazing God is. But I want to tell you the imperfect thought I had in that moment that kept me in that moment that made me didn't go, yeah, we're done, we're done, because I felt done. I went, I've just been doing ministry for 10 years. I could have made so much more money doing anything else. I'll never get those 10 years back. It makes no sense to start a new career now. That was the imperfect, imperfect thought I had in my head in that moment. Thankfully, it never came out of my mouth. But that, that kept me in the moment. And I just looked at my wife and I said, we're always going to love and serve the Lord. But what we're going to do for the next two weeks is we're not going to do our devotions. But we're going to go to our devotion chairs. And for two weeks, we're not going to talk about it. But we're going to get before God every morning and we're going to let him have it. We're going to tell him how hurt we are. We're going to tell him how broken we are. We're going to tell him how sad we are. We're going to tell him how angry we are. We're going to tell him how mad we are. Whatever it is that's inside of us is coming out for the next two weeks because I'm not going to hear people tell me to give it to God anymore and think that that's some magical moment where I can just go, ah, I feel better, I give it to God. I'm going to give it to God. Whatever is down there that's broken and hurting, it's coming out before the Lord because he's the only one who's going to deal with it. So we did that for two weeks. And you know what I realized after all these years? I had to let go of family because there became one thing between me and God and it was this belief that I deserved the family. And until I came before God and said, loving you is more important than whatever dream, whatever future, whatever thing we want or feel we deserve, there was no moving forward from this situation. Fear was always going to be in my heart as long as my relationship with God depended upon that promise of a child. My relationship with God should depend upon the fact that I've surrendered all because I love Him with all my heart. So in those two weeks, completely broken, getting it all out, we realized that we were going to make a decision moving forward. Family or not, we were going to love and serve the Lord for the rest of our life. For the first time in my life, I actually felt like I got to a point where I honestly surrendered everything I had. The last thing I had to hold on to that I hadn't let go, I finally let go. What I want to make sure I do on stage, whenever I share this story, I want to make it completely clear. This story is not about the miracle, because you all know how it ends. You saw the video. We've got a son there, Elijah. I don't share this story about the miracle, because the reality is not everyone will experience the miracle. There's a lot of people that will experience the infertility and the waiting and the hurt and the brokenness. This story is not about the miracle. This story is about the pain and learning to understand that our relationship with God is dependent upon us getting to a point where we'll let it all out, where we'll actually give it to God. Now, we were fortunate because our story had the miracle. So when we finally conceived Elijah and we got to 12 weeks when it was safe, Remember how I said I never felt like I had that conviction to be a senior pastor and a, a church planner? I went away for a couple of days and I was praying with God and I felt him every morning say, what would you go through this amount of pain for again? I'm like, well, there's a brother and sister in the freezer, so we could do that. Or, I can't understand what question you're asking me, God. And on the last morning I realized, the only thing I love more than anything else is his church. The only thing I want to do for the rest of my life is his church. It's the, there's a vehicle to transform the world. 
Because there's people in that experience that we just had, feeling as broken as we do, but they don't have that Savior to come before and let it all out to. They just have that brokenness to fill them. So if we can go into this world and gather people and build a church that can speak to that pain, speak to that brokenness, speak to that hurt, and bring a little bit of the love of Christ that we know into these communities, then we can see the world changed. And I realized if I was going to do anything for the rest of my life, if I was going to walk through any amount of pain, it was going to be to see God's church built. And in that moment, I went, there's the conviction. Then God said, start investigating the UK. I've been going to Liverpool every two years since I was 19. I felt the call to ministry in Liverpool. And I've been dying for God to open the door back to Liverpool. The door opened because God got my wife. Every time I took my wife to Liverpool, never told her I wanted to plant a church there. But just on the trip, she'd find some unnecessary way to look at me and go, I'll never live in this city. It's horrible. (laughs) So like, I'm praying, Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool. God's saying, plant a church, it's going to be great. My wife's like, nah, nah, nah. You know, I I just want to get her up for a moment just to share how God changed her heart for Liverpool. Do you want to hear that? Yeah? Yeah? You? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm not the preacher in this family, so please bear with me. Um, But we did want to share this little moment with you from our story. And like Scott said, um, we had been there three times as a couple And for whatever reason, all three times I commented, like he said, that I never ever wanted to live there, which is a strange thing to say because he wasn't asking me to live there. But when I was there and when we were walking around, it's like a city quite derelict. So it used to be a manufacturing city, if you know much about Liverpool, but um, a big manufacturing city. But then all the manufacturing became cheaper in other countries. So it basically closed down. The number of people halved living in Liverpool. And so there's all these ginormous buildings, derelict, with barbed wire fences everywhere and weeds. And that's all I could see every time we went there. There's beautiful parts of Liverpool too. um, And it's thriving in areas. But there's other parts of the city that's just so derelict, you know, and, and like a desert sort of thing. And that's all I could see. I couldn't see any beauty in it. (laughs) sorry Um, so anyway we were there this last October and we were there because we were seeking God about moving there this time and again I looked around and I'm like I just don't get God with this one I don't think I can live here so still Scott is there going like come on God I thought this is the moment you're gonna get it right and um, the very next day we're walking down the same street And I had these three sort of God moments, just literally as we're walking down one street and I stopped in my tracks, okay? We're all walking and I just stopped there and God shows me these three things and they're from different moments in our lives um, that have happened over a couple of years. And the first one was, um, oh, it was a movie actually. It wasn't even like a Christian moment or anything. I was just watching a movie and um, at the very end, it talked about the potential of life and the power of life. And it showed this montage and a big concrete expanse and how a single blade of grass can grow, can find its way through concrete. Now, while we were walking down this street in Liverpool, literally all that I could see was concrete and weeds, okay? Not even grass, just weeds. But God showed me this moment about, you know, the the potential for a single blade of grass to find its way through concrete. And it was like God was saying, what's my potential in this place? 
Um, you know, what, what could I do in this place where you can only see brokenness and you can only see, you know, there's, you know, you can't see beauty there, but what can I bring to this place? And um, he brought me back to when Scott was being ordained, okay, that was my lowest point <laughs> in our journey to parenthood. Funny how God, you know, works that way, but this great moment where Scott's being ordained and he's moving forward with God and I felt I couldn't be further from him in that moment and I was so broken I didn't even want to go to church that day but I sat there in the front row and I'm you know trying to be supportive and trying to be exciting and Scott gets up and again he and he knows how I'm feeling it that day but he gets up and in faith he he shares how one day he's going to stand up on the stage holding our son sorry it was a very long journey for us and because I have faith really, you know, strong faith in God. Every single month, I believed that God was going to break through for us. And it was about, you know, six, seven year journey of having faith and having faith. And I just felt like God was being mean. That's how I felt at that time. And Scott gets up again and now he's being mean, you know. Um, And he's sharing how he feels that, um, you know, we're going to stand up here one day with our son and I lose it, right? It's not like the single tears you see in the movies. I am ugly crying in the front row, guys. All right? And I am a loud person, so it's sobbing. There's, you know, tears and snot, and it's just not a pretty thing. (laughs) Um, But um, after the service, I get over it. It's okay. I, I, you know, get a tissue. It's fine. (laughs) And um, a lady, one of the pastors comes over to me, and she just sits beside me and she says, I know you don't want to hear this right now, but God wants you to understand this brokenness. Because as you saw on the screen, that's how he feels for all of us. That's how he feels for the lost. That's how he, you know, that's how much he loves us in this sort of pool. It's a pool and it's something that I could not let go of for six years. I couldn't let go of. You know, and that's how God loves us. And just before I let Scotty come back up, I just felt some of us here need to hear that today. That's how much God loves you. But then going further, she said, you need this particular thing for something that God has called you to. Um, And I didn't understand it then, but while we were walking down that street in Liverpool, it, it all sort of connected you know, that, that, that love that he has for all of us, that he was sharing, you know, just a taste. What I felt was just a taste of what, how God feels, really, towards us all and to the lost. He wanted us to um, take that to Liverpool and, um, you know, um, share that with the people there. And I hope that um, this testimony, this um, time that we're sharing with you, very, you know... Um, this moment that we're sharing with you is something that you can take to your communities, to your Liverpools, whatever that might be, um, that we can all just love that little bit more for the people around us because it's a taste of what God is like and how God wants to care for our communities. So I'll pass it back over to Scott. I didn't want to talk and not let you hear from her. Um, we're a team, we're going together. And I've got to tell you, after all these years of saying, I'll never live in this city, when she stopped in the middle of the street staring at a weed coming through the grass and said nothing for like three minutes and then turned to me and said, this is our home now. I was like, what just happened? And when she said, all those years of brokenness was to be broken for the people of Liverpool, I went, all right, we're going. 
And you guys know the rest, you saw in the video, we met Tim Jack. And suddenly, now, thankfully, six months before I met Tim Jack, I learned how to say the word apostolic. So you always want to say apostolistic. Um, and the good thing is I went from Anglican to the AOG, which means I went from trousers to skinny jeans, which is probably why we had the fertility problems. Um, but now I'm in the apostolics, I can wear normally shaped jeans again. It's fantastic. Ten more minutes and I'm done, I promise. I just want to give you a little bit. I want to, we're talking about this passage and the movements through this passage and, and the wrestle between fear and faith. Let me show you the secret in this passage. This isn't the first time they've been on a boat in a storm with Jesus. If you go all the way back to, to Matthew 8, it says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a, fury, a ferocious storm came up on the lake so that there was waves swept over the boat. Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. We know Peter got out of the boat. We know he began to sink. We know Jesus grabbed him. We know they got back into the boat. But do you remember how that story ends? It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Twice in the book of Matthew, they're trapped in a boat in a storm with Jesus. And the first time they looked and they said, who is this man? He even controls the winds and the waves. But the second storm, they worshipped him as the Son of God took two storms for the disciples to realize he was the son of God. So that's the secret of this passage. That's the secret of fear and faith is sometimes it's, it's not just learning to be more faithful. Sometimes it's persevering through the storms, through the situ situations, through the circumstances. And every time you do, you get a little bit more faith and a little less fear. I said everyone in this room who has a capacity for great faith, if we can choose in the pressure to focus on Jesus if we can choose in the pleasure to focus on Jesus instead of the circumstances around. And even when we don't, and even when we get distracted, and even when we start to sink, we can still cry out. He puts us back in the boat, and we're better off for that whole experience. The best way to wrestle from fear to faith is to persevere through the storms because it took two storms to realize he was the Son of God. You think after the winds and waves the first time they get it, but it took two. And that's the secret of this passage. So I went to Liverpool a month ago, and I'll tell you where we're at. So far, our church is a mega church. It's me, Rachel, and Elijah. It's going fantastically. I have 100% attendance. And um, I think they're listening to my sermons. <laughs> but uh, I've got a map. Did we get the map up? There we go. So you see this orange part right here where it says Liverpool 1, Vodafone, all that orange part, not the yellow highlighted, the orange part. That's the CBD of Liverpool. That's the center of town. This highlighted yellow part is the dense urban apartment living area right next to town. Thousands of people living on top of each other. Now in the UK, you move away to study for three years. So I've got students, whole buildings for students living in this neighborhood who are away from home, away from family, away from friends. We've got young professionals and we've got families. So I went there a month ago for seven days to figure out a place to live. And I met a couple of people. I went to the bank. Can't open a bank account without an address. Can't rent a place without a bank account. Rock in a hard place. But I spent four hours with a young professional bank teller 
And I walked out with a bank account. He twisted some arms. And my first ever Liverpool Facebook friend. And he said, you're coming over for cocktails with my fiance and I when you move over. He said, I tick Christian on a box, but I've never seen that passion in someone before. I'm not moving across the world to do the whole get to know me, then the penny drops, I'm a Christian, then get to know me a little more and wait until you ask what I do. And then I tell you I'm a pastor. And it's like, whoa, blew your mind. I was so normal, wasn't I? I'm moving my whole family to the other side of the world. The first thing I'm going to tell you is I'm a pastor. I'm here to chapel in this neighborhood. I'm looking for people of peace. So I felt like I had a confirmation to the young professionals in that neighborhood. Then I went to uh, check out an apartment way beyond our price range. But I just felt like God said, give it a look. And I had this burdening for young families all week. And I'm like, I haven't seen one. How, you know, where are they? But I just felt like God's saying they're in this neighborhood and they're isolated. So I'm walking up the street to this apartment and there's the maternal health nurse across the road from the apartment. And in England, you have to go to the one in your neighborhood. You don't get a choice. So I realized every mom coming out of that door is from my neighborhood. So one came out that door and went up an alley. And it was later in the day. The walls were high. It was a bit dark. So I chased her. I had a big jacket because it was spring in Liverpool. So I had a big jacket on. I wasn't on holidays, guys. It was spring in Liverpool. Not 40 in the desert. And I had a beanie on because I just got a haircut. It was better than this haircut because this one's not good. And I approached this lady in a dark alley. And I'm just like, I'm a pastor. I'm going to chapel in the area. I haven't seen any mums. Where are the mums? Blah, blah, blah. And she's got a 20-week-old in a pram. And she didn't run. I think she realized I could still probably keep up. But we start chatting and she starts to get emotional. And I said, I'm sorry. And I, I, like when, when, when females start to cry, I'm, I'm, I get a little anxious because if hot chocolate doesn't fix the problem, I have no idea what to do. And there was no hot chocolate in an alleyway. So I asked her, are you okay? And she said, my husband and I have lived in this neighborhood for 12 months. Okay, 12 months. They've got a 20-week-old. So they've basically been pregnant and then had a baby the entire time they've lived in this neighborhood. You all know what that time's like. Everyone's really lovely, but we don't have any friends because everyone's relationally clicky. This went through nine months of pregnancy, feeling lonely and isolated in a neighborhood. And she said, I can't give you my mobile phone because it's inappropriate. You're a strange man in an alley. But I can give you my email address. You tell your wife to email me. My husband's going to be so excited I met you. We should hang out. So my wife and I and my wife and her are already planning play dates for when we're over there two weeks' time. And I went, she's not the only isolated family living in a concrete structure that isn't ideal for children. And so then I met, I went to look at this apartment. The apartment's above a cafe. The cafe's across from the maternal health nurse. I'm just going to put Lige and Rach out the front of that cafe all day long, chasing mums up the alley. We're going to grow our church up the alley. And I, I, I met the owner by chance. I was talking to a guy in the cafe. He told me about the, the apartment above stairs and he said, undercut them, that's a ridiculous price. No one's made an offer, but everyone's been looking for two months. And, and he said, I said, oh, what do you do? He goes, I'm the owner, but this is a side business. I'm never here. I said, oh, okay. And he goes, I'm so excited about what you want to do in this neighborhood. Here's my business card. You can use this cafe out of hours for free. And well, he's already emailed me to remind me that he's going to take me out to dinner and show me the ropes when I really I don't know what that means. He had a leather jacket and looked cool. So I'm not used to cool guys responding to me. So checked out the apartment, was amazing. Came back down. Two students are working behind the, the cafe. 
they started asking me questions because they heard me talk to the owner. And um, one of them, Abby, she was not giving me anything. She's like, students don't need a mama and papa away from home. They've got each other. You... So I feel like she thought I was delusional. But Joanna, I'm talking to her and you guys know I can talk. And, uh, you know, I don't know what I said, but she starts to tear up. And I'm like, well, at least there's hot chocolate here. We're good. And I said, I'm sorry, did I say something to upset you? And she said, no, I'm not used to men talking about their wives the way you do. It's really nice. I'm thinking, who are you hanging out with? Because I don't, you know, like it wasn't like I said anything amazing. And then Abby all of a sudden goes, I really hope you and your wife move here. It'd be so nice. So I felt in those seven days, I found a confirmation for each of the people group in my neighborhood a reason to run faster, to go and get something started. So I walked into the real estate agent because I thought, you know what, I've got to live in this neighborhood. I'm believing now for a church that lives, breathes, serves and worships in its neighborhood, that neighborhood right there, the Baltic Triangle. So I walked into the real estate agent. I said, I'm making an offer. I'm paying $400 less a month. I'm not paying a cent until I relocate over because I, I you know, it's a couple of months away. And, uh, you know, you're probably, it's probably costing you now, but that's the offer. And you'll get a deposit when you get it because I haven't figured out how to transfer money to the UK yet. I only just got a bank account and a Facebook friend. And, um, and I said, uh, um, also, you can't call me because I don't have a phone, so you'll have to email me your answer. And they're like, good luck. And I walked out. I'm like, well, I got nothing to lose. A week later, I'm in Bradford. I get an email from a solicitor saying, we'll accept your offer. How quickly can you get in? changed my plans, walked into that solicitor's office and I felt like I was walking into the set of suits. It was pretty fancy. I sat down, I went to sign the contract. She's like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, let me tell you. And she's like, okay. But the property manager's like, oh, great. I'm from the Church of England on the other side of town and oh man, my church isn't doing anything in the community, but I'm sticking it out. I'm going to change that. But I've got an office right behind your house. You come by any time of the day. If you don't understand anything about any interaction in town, we'll talk it through. I hope you understand Liverpool and I'll pray with you. I'm so excited for you. So that's the person I have to deal with for this rental. So in seven days, we got a house right where that red dot is. We met someone from each of those people groups that really felt like God saying there is a need, I am calling you to that. And we did it simply the way Peter did it. Because Peter said, is it you, God? And God just said, come. Did you notice the lack of instructions? Did you notice him not explaining how to walk on water as if Peter just knows how to walk on water? See, I'm expecting Jesus to go, what you want to do is you want to come out of the boat backwards, take your first step really carefully. But there wasn't that. Jesus didn't even look at Peter and say, this is the reason why you need to get out on the boat. This is the bigger picture. This is it all explained. He just simply said, come. So sometimes when it comes to fear and face, we need to be willing to take Jesus at His Word alone and just come. Fear needs a reason. Fear needs explanations. Fear needs to understand the bigger picture. Fear needs to get its ducks in a row. But faith doesn't need any of that. Faith just needs you to take Jesus at His Word alone. And I can only tell you that because I spent six years holding on to something that needed to be dealt with. Six years of waiting for instructions, trying to understand reasons, trying to understand what God was doing. When I should have just been taking Him at His word alone and loving Him with everything I had. The difference between fear and faith is persevering through the storms and taking Jesus at His word alone. 
And the more you do, the better you get at it because everyone in this room has a capacity for great faith. And you don't have to go across to the other side of the world to some strange city where they talk really funny to be great. You just need to step out in your everyday life and tell people about what you know, the hope that is the opposite to the broken they're experiencing. I'm so grateful that I get to spend the next two years or more journeying with all of you. I'm going to be standing videos even though I hate looking at myself on screen. And I'll be keeping you up to date, but all I'm going to be doing is chasing women up alleyways. <laughs> and I forgot to tell you, I met the university chaplain. They're looking for another university chaplain. So I'm not a weirdo approaching students anymore. I'm now the weirdo that's the university chaplain, backed by an institute. So that's all I've got. I just want to pray for you. But I wanted to share a bit of who I am, a bit of how we got there. I wanted to stay in time and I didn't. And uh, I wanted you to hear from Rach. But ultimately, I wanted you to understand the difference between fear and faith. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I've been hearing about them for over a year. To actually be here with them is such a joy. I thank you for the words spoken, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that you're there in our experiences in the storms, you're calling us towards you. And even if we do get distracted by our circumstances, you'll still yank us out as we begin to sink. So Lord, I, I pray that you help us persevere through those storms, persevere through those circumstances, choose Jesus over the pressure, choose Jesus over the pleasure. And as we grow and as we persevere, we move closer from fear to faith. I pray that this area will continue to be changed because people are taking Jesus at his word alone and not needing anything more. Thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Wasn't that fantastic? What a, what a great young couple they are. And just to see what God is doing in them. God always takes us on a journey because it's not so much about what God is asking us to do for Him, because at one level, He can use anyone to do that task. But it's really about the people that we are as we serve Him and as we follow Him. The first thing that Jesus asks all of us to do is to follow Him, not work for Him, not do ministry for Him, but to follow Him personally. And what a, what a great couple they are. We're going to pray for them. Charles, why don't you come up? And, and the elders, if there are any elders in the building, I know we've got a couple away at the moment. <clears throat> yeah, Rachel, if Rachel can come, if it's possible. If not, she's coming. I've got a bit of a raspy voice, but um, I apologise for that. Why don't we all stand together? We're going to lay hands on them and send them out with a blessing and anointing from our local church for God to really open up more doors. We've heard incredible stories already of how three particular people groups they're focusing on and how God's already opened up those doors. And I think it's really part of our responsibility to keep praying for them and praying that those doors strengthen and that those relationships really take off for what God wants to do. So Charles, why don't you pray? Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. It does say in your word, and it's been on my heart, that Lord, you, you make all things work for good. Lord, I thank you for their story, their testimony, but Lord, I thank you for their passion. Lord, it's about the individual. It's about the hurting. 
It's about the broken, the isolated. Lord, I thank you for the perspective that you've given them. The perspective, Lord God, that you notice the individuals, Lord God, that are in pain and that, and that you mourn to be you're in relationship with us and desire, Lord God, to be in relationship with us, Lord, and that there is a couple that are willing to endure pain themselves to see your kingdom come, to see people come into relationship with you. Lord, I pray right now that you will strengthen them for the journey. Give them faith. Give them wisdom. Give them strategy. Lord, I thank you that there is going to be email after email, video after video. We hear of your great provision, your miraculous circumstances, Lord, that that you ordain for them to meet the right people. I thank you, Lord, that we will hear of stories of buildings. We'll hear stories of the church outgrowing buildings, Lord God. We'll hear stories, Lord God, of those that are broken coming in, being restored. Lord, I pray that you'll protect them. Lord, we we hear of Scott's health, Lord God, and we think of them as they prepare to travel. We just pray right now, Lord, that in this season you will cover them and you will protect them, give them traveling mercies. Lord God, we thank you that we walk in your blessing and your protection. And as we face challenges, Lord, we know we're overcomers. We pray, Lord, that they will feel your covering, that they would know that we are praying for them and praying with them as we do this together, Lord. And we thank you for the transformation that will take place in Liverpool. Lord, we thank you you are birthing something new. Lord, we thank you that from one blade of grass can, Lord God, be multiplication, Lord God. And we just pray for fruitfulness. Lord, I just see this, this incredible picture of this garden. There's just going to be this abundance of beauty that's going to flow out of what God is going to use you guys to do. And then it's going to grow and it's going to be established where no one else could do it, but God calls you to do it. And we thank you for that. And we believe in your provision and protection and call in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give them a big, big hand. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. You know, there's one thing that you can take from their personal story is how God uses pain to strip back anything that could actually get in the way of where he's taking you. And none of us are exempt from that. We've all had difficult experiences and circumstances. But God uses those times to mature and grow us by removing out of us the things that will be a blockage in the future. We're always focused on getting to where we want to get to now. But God often takes us somewhere else to get us to that destination because the journey is just as important. I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you've heard some incredible stories about what it takes to follow Jesus, what it means. It's not just a religion. If you've never made a commitment to make Jesus your Lord and Saviour, that is to see Him as the one that gives you life and to follow his teachings that are written in the Bible, I want to give you an opportunity for you to do that. Can everyone just close their eyes for one moment? Just for privacy. But if you've heard that message this morning from Scott and Rachel, 
and you really feel in your heart that you want to know this Jesus, why don't you put your hand up in the air and all we're going to do is give you a gift of the Bible and one of our team members will come and chat to you about what it means to follow Christ. Is anybody here today that wants to make that decision for the first time? Just put your hand up in the air, I'll see it. Great, thank you very much. Down the back there. Can I have a host just to give them that, that Bible gift? Great. Anyone else? You know, following Jesus, just look at me for a minute. Following Jesus is the most important decision you can make in your life. We make a lot of decisions in life, but that's the most important. It changed the direction of my life personally, and it changed the direction of everybody here who is a disciple of Christ. And so it's an ongoing thing. We don't just make one decision. Every single day we follow Christ. Is that not right? So why don't we pray together that we celebrate the fact that someone's made a choice. I'm going to pray. Why don't we just pray one more time? Father, we thank you for the salvation. We thank you, Lord, that your ministry is right here in this house. And Lord, we pray a blessing over that new salvation right now in Jesus' name. Let your spirit come. And Lord, let them know you in a personal, deep way, just like we have got to know you. And Father, I pray again that as you release Scott and Rachel in two weeks to travel over to Liverpool, that you would protect them, anoint them, and may they be fruitful, Lord. I just see that they've gone from being infertile to fertile, and it's a spiritual thing. I just pray, Father, for great fruitfulness, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. We've got tea and coffee out there. If you're visiting, don't forget to meet our host just at the back of the auditorium there. We'll see you next Sunday. May the Lord bless you. It is well.